I'm sure uh, many of you are aware our church is planning a missions trip to the United Arab Emirates, which is a country in the Middle East. And I'm planning on going, and I'm very excited, mainly because I've never really traveled internationally. And just this past Friday, my passport arrived. My passport is very important. Because it does two things. It certifies my identity as a citizen of the United States, and it allows me to travel internationally and enter other countries. Without my passport, I would not be able to enter the UAE. All international travelers must present a passport in order to enter the country. No exceptions. What if I told you that the kingdom of heaven was no different? There is a certain requirement which certifies your identity as a citizen without which you cannot enter. As we look at the first beatitude tonight, Jesus teaches that only the poor in spirit enter the kingdom of heaven. No exceptions. And before we begin, would you join me in prayer? Our Father, as we open your word and we remember the teachings of our Lord Jesus, give us grace that our ears may be open, that our minds may be enlightened, that our hearts may be soft to hear your voice, to be sanctified by your truth, for your word is truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So the Beatitudes, they open Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which takes place very early on in his ministry. He has just called his first disciples and done many miracles, and now he climbs a mountain and he takes a seat and teaches his disciples. And we must keep this in mind. Jesus is talking to his followers. This frames the way we must interpret the Beatitudes. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is describing the character of those who follow him. That is, for someone to credibly follow Christ, they must manifest all these qualities. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it very succinctly in his book, Studies in the Sermon on the Mount, where he simply writes, speaking of the Beatitudes, all Christians are to be like this. There are no exceptions. And so, bearing that in mind, let's take a closer look at the first beatitude where Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's really quite a simple statement, isn't it? Jesus says that those who are poor in spirit, whatever that means, are blessed. And why? Well, for or because The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? In answering that question, perhaps I should start with what it does not mean. Being poor in spirit has nothing to do with financial hardship. Jesus is not making a statement concerning the status of your bank account, but rather the state of your heart. Jesus is speaking of a poverty of spirit. And in one sense, everyone is poor in spirit. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Isaiah 53. All our righteous deeds are as filthy rags before our most holy God. Isaiah 64. Because of our sin. We are all debtors to God. We are debtors who cannot pay their debts. And the scriptures are clear. This is the state of every man, woman, and child on this planet because of the sin of our forefather, Adam. And the tragic thing about this truth is that most do not see their need. Most are blissfully and willfully ignorant of this fact. Romans 1 tells us that the unbeliever suppresses the truth of God in unrighteousness, unwilling to face the truth about God and the truth that we are sinners before him. But in this case, however, when Jesus is speaking of those who are poor in spirit, he's not simply speaking of all those who are indebted to God. To understand the beatitude this way would lead us to universalism. Rather, When Jesus speaks of those who are poor in spirit, he speaks of those who actually see their need. So we may summarize poverty of spirit in this way. To be poor in spirit is to take a a view towards oneself which is accurate. It is a lowly view towards oneself. That is the view that we are utterly helpless before God, unable to atone for our sins, unable to earn God's blessing by our good works. The one who is poor in spirit is the one who acknowledges that God would be just to condemn them to hell forever. As bleak as that sounds, Jesus says that the one who comes to this grim truth is in fact blessed. How can that be? It's because those who see this truth are those who will enter the kingdom of heaven. In this way, it is fitting that Jesus places this beatitude first because he is describing the entry point of the kingdom of heaven for every Christian. Just like, just like my passport. Without being poor in spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. No exceptions. You see, Jesus is advancing his kingdom by the building of his church. And his church is made up of sinners saved by grace through the gospel. This gospel is the good news about Jesus. That although we are sinners before God, God sent Jesus to live righteously in our stead, to atone for our sins by dying on the cross, and then, rising from the dead, he proclaimed victory over death and sin and the devil. And the promise of the gospel is this. If you repent of your sins, and you trust in Christ, he will save you from all your sins. He will pay all your debt and forgive all all your iniquity, but here's the kicker. Only those who see their sin, those who see their spiritual bankruptcy, will see their need for a Savior. These are the poor in spirit. 
So we see, only the poor in spirit enter the kingdom of heaven. I wonder, how should this shape or frame or how should this shape the way we view ourselves? (laughs) How about the way we view the unbelieving world? What do I mean by that? Allow me to probe with some questions. What is your posture toward the unbelieving world? Do you subtly look down on your unbelieving relatives, friends, or neighbors? You think yourself better than them because you know Christ? Now, of course, you would never say that. But do you ever catch yourself thinking that way? If that sounds like you, then you're misunderstanding this beatitude. The fact that you saw your sin and you sought salvation in Christ, that does not make you any better than the unbeliever. You were not more righteous or wiser than they were. Being poor in spirit is not something that is intrinsic or natural to you. The only reason you were humbled before God was the grace of God. God, the Holy Spirit, unilaterally worked in you through the preaching of the gospel. And you saw your need for Christ, you became spiritually poor. This fact should humble us even more. As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? The answer being nothing. Even this conviction of sin, this poverty of spirit, it is the gift of God. Christian, do you realize that? Do you realize that your salvation is wholly unearned and undeserved? Then we should not look down on the unbeliever. But rather, we should pity them. We should pray for them. We should reach out to them so that they too might become recipients of the grace of God through the gospel. And on that point, this beatitude advises us on how we ought to preach the gospel, how we ought to evangelize. If we want unbelievers to come to faith and enter the kingdom of heaven, they too must become poor in spirit. And that means that when we evangelize, we must talk to them about sin. There's this funny turn of phrase. Some of you may have heard it before. Speaking of evangelizing to unbelievers, it goes like this. You got to get them lost before you can get them saved. It's sort of a crude way to put it, but it's true. We must speak of sin when we are evangelizing. Otherwise, the the unbeliever will never be convinced they are in need of a savior. And there is no other way for the lost to be saved. Only the poor in spirit enter the kingdom of heaven. No exceptions. Perhaps you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. We might say you are outside the kingdom of heaven. I wonder, how do you see yourself? Perhaps you don't see yourself as being in all that bad a condition. Maybe a thought like this is running through your mind right now. Sure. Nobody's perfect. 
but I'm a good person. I do my best, and that's what counts. Doesn't God see that? Don't my good works make up for my mistakes? Friend, this is simply wrong thinking. Your good works will do you no good. Because in truth, they aren't good at all. They are vain attempts to bribe the judge and sweep your sins under the rug. And it's not going to work. God is holy. And God sees your heart. He sees your sinful pride. He sees your anger, your lust, your greed. He sees that you are utterly bereft of righteousness, weighed down with a multitude of sins, and helpless to do anything about it. So what can you do? Your only hope is to agree with God. Acknowledge your sin. Humble yourself before him and become poor in spirit. And once you see that you have so great a debt, turn your eyes upon Jesus and you will see that he paid it all. Throw yourself at the mercy of God and entrust yourself to him and he will save you through the work Jesus did to redeem you. You see, Jesus promises The kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor in spirit. He will save you. For those of us who know Christ, we became poor in spirit when he saved us. But let us not get confused. Having entered the kingdom, does the Christian no longer need to be poor in spirit? By no means. Jesus does not say the momentarily poor in spirit enter the kingdom. Having once become poor, we must remain poor in spirit. This means we must never lose sight of our dependence on God for everything in this life and the life to come. And so on that point, believer, are you struggling with sin or discouragement or a lack of spiritual growth? And are you trying to fight your way through on your own? If that's you, you think too highly of yourself. Don't be fooled by your own pride. Remember your spiritual poverty and avail yourself of the help God provides through his spirit, his word, the church, and prayer. You are not adequate to progress in the Christian life of your own will and power. Humble yourself and ask for help. This is why we have the church. God has provided the assistance, the encouragement, the prayers of our fellow saints because we are all of us poor in spirit. Remember that. But maybe you would agree with me that you are spiritually poor. So much so that you are without hope of progress in the Christian life. Maybe you've veered away from spiritual pride 
into the opposite ditch. A despair, which is actually masking a, a lack of faith in God. If that's you, let me encourage and gently rebuke you with one of my favorite verses. This is 1 Thessalonians five twenty three and 24, where the Apostle Paul writes, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Trust in the promise of our God, for he will save all whom he has called. And those he has called are the poor in spirit. So let me close by simply saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your grace to us through the gospel. We thank you for the grace to see the need for a Savior, that we might cry out to him and be rescued out of all our sins. Let us never lose sight of this fact, this fact that our greatest need has been met in the Lord Jesus, for we were poor debtors, and he paid our debt. In his name we pray, amen.